Hello, listeners. I don't know how to do this because it's fucking weird. So this episode, we talk a lot about Sandy, who was my cat. She unfortunately passed away. So this episode is now in memoriam. Thank you if you've reached out about it and shown support to me and Sandy and the podcast. And if you listen to this episode and you don't fucking like it, then you're putting disrespect on my dead cat's name and I will hold that against you and it'll make me really sad. So if you're a good person, listen to this episode and support your local animal shelters. And if there's ever a feline leukemia positive cat in your life, give it some extra love because they deserve it. I'm crying. My friends really think that I would publicly post for multiple minutes that I'm going to meet some man at a hotel bar. Okay, so just so the listeners understand our situation right now, we are in a hotel in Old City down in Philadelphia. I'm down here for a work team meeting, which is just corporate speak for we're using the company money to talk with bullshit consultants for eight hours a day. But there are people who voted in earnest, like, go meet a random man. And I was like, no. That's just crazy to tell your friends. To be honest, the girlies be like that. Like, I too would convince my friends to do stupid things. You would convince them to go see a random man at a hotel bar? Yes. Well, I would ask if he was rich first. And you know what? That's where my friends fucked up is no one asked if you were rich. <laughs> I'm going to say this because I am talking California slow. Andrew and I did do edibles. I did smoke before this. I'm toasted. But I digress. As we all know, Andrew is an introvert. And honestly, introvert is like underselling it because Andrew and I famously have been at the same party and did not interact until two years later. So tell me about this improv opportunity that you were presented with. The consultant out of nowhere at the end of the day yesterday was like, hey, we're going to do improv. It was like Second City up in here. Were you doing the like zip zap? Oh, people were throwing knives at each other, throwing babies at each other to like catch them across the room. All fake, of course. There's yeah. no real knife, but you know, people are throwing them back and okay, forth. Okay, Britney Spears. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did not participate. I sat it out. I was already totally spent by the end of the day mentally. And this was like... 30 nonstop minutes of this. My Apple Watch was going off telling me that I was in a dangerously loud environment. <laughs> and at the end of it, they they tried to like relate it back to like being in the business world and like, oh, this is how you're you should interact in a chaotic environment. No, you shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was the only one of the team who who sat out and didn't do it. Weirdly enough, my boss is not giving me a hard time about it, but I think he kind of suspected that I, like, he knew in advance that yeah. this was coming, and I think he probably knew that I wasn't going to do it. Sometimes you really have to be fucking for real when it comes to that corporate rah rah bullshit. Like, I'm not doing it. Like, it, I'm yeah, it like this is this isn't me. You know, they're like, oh, everybody should be themselves, but like, we're all going to do this, even if it like you hate it. And it's like, is that really constructive? I when I was in my big four bag, which was actually not for very long, famously. I remember we had to do so much stuff like this. And like, I am in like a deep extrovert. And so the idea of watching a whole bunch of people who are like visibly uncomfortable with those situations. And like, mind you, we are all accountants. So we're not like baseline. I mean, I'm lying. I know a lot of accountants who are very social, but like, our stereotype is not that we're social people. And it was like, 
this type of group is like super easy to get along with. And this type of group is really hard to get along with. You two groups go connect with each other. And I was like, um, I think there's room for improvement here. And it was so uncomfortable. And like you could see it even on the instructor's face that they were just like, this is hell. The woman who does these at our company, the executive management team fucking loves her. And the amount of money she makes from our company alone is staggering. When we're doing this improv thing and they're like, you can't tell your clients no, always yes and. And we're all sitting there like, we have to tell people no like a lot because we're so understaffed and under-resourced. And then they're like, oh, well, yes and can mean no sometimes. (laughs) <laughs> Meanwhile, my therapist is like, no is a sentence. Like, yeah. also, not for nothing, I am not even bringing an eighth of myself to work. God forbid a, my whole self to work. If I brought my whole self to work, I would be unemployed. HR would be like, nah, girl, turn that <laughs> shit around. If you pay me enough money, I will spout whatever bullshit it takes. Um, So I am kind of with her. She is making a fuck ton of money off of spouting out like, utter fuck shit and i aspire to do that this is what this podcast is honestly <laughs> well this this is my struggle is because i really can't stand her but i have to admire her what do you mean mine <laughs> that's what it means in german <laughs> what mine comp <laughs> oh my struggle oh my struggle oh yeah that's right andrew's going back to his roots everyone <gasps> Okay. She's right. She's right. She's right. We'll cut it somewhere. Andrew will figure it out. We are so high. I love it. There's a lot of different chemicals in my body fighting right now. So this is going to be a great episode, everyone. Um, We are literally in the hellscape as we speak, but we're going to proverbially jump in it. I have news. I recently took a test and um, I got some really troubling results. So there's been this um, TikTok sound that has been trending and it has let um, concerned citizens such as myself know that if your cat has pink toe beans, which are the little itty bitty pads on their little feet, um, they are of the Caucasian race. If your cat has black toe beans, then they are Negroes like myself. I didn't know that cats could have races other than, you know, American short hair, calico. Yes. Blah, blah, blah. Black and Caucasian. That's crazy. Negro and from the Caucasus Mountains. (laughs) (laughs) And so imagine my surprise when I go to my sweet baby angel. And I turn over her little feet and I see black and I see pink. (gasps) She's a mixed baby. My child is a mixed race. For the culture, she is adopted. But if you ask me any time outside of this, she is my biological daughter. Obviously, I am no Caucasian. And so I decided that I wanted to help her through her journey. Is she having an identity crisis after learning this information about herself? I think so. Um, I think because of 
the home that she lives in, she's been under the impression that she is 100% African American. And so, you know, I have some white in my family, but I don't want to appropriate another people's culture. And so I actually brought you in today because I need to understand white culture. And you, Andrew, are our white culture correspondent. You know, I think that raising a child is a really communal effort. And so I actually, for a period of time, blocked you from my Instagram story. And I asked the community, what can I ask this white man to better connect with his culture? So I have a list of questions for you. I am both intrigued and terrified. You should be terrified. I I will answer one of the questions that you have. Yes. We all secretly like Nickelback. Well, that was like a given, babe. (laughs) That's like saying, yeah, we sunburn. Girl, we know. Our first question comes from um, one of our Danish listeners. They ask, do men like to arm wrestle just so that they can hold hands tightly and look into each other's eyes? I don't know if this is a particularly like white culture thing, but it is definitely a straight man thing. And I think it kind of dies out after you reach a certain age, but definitely when you're in your teens and into your early 20s, I think every straight man goes through a phase where they arm wrestle constantly. (laughs) I think for me, it was about 14, 15. It's just like the meme right now that's going around about the Roman Empire. And and maybe it's a white thing. I don't think it's a white thing. I think just a straight dude thing. But yeah, there's there's an arm wrestling phase for sure. I mean, there's whole arm wrestling competitions now. Yeah. Well, there's slapping competitions. Oh, the slapping competitions are hilarious, but I'm still confused by those. I truly think that if you are handling a slap at that velocity, we need to look into what you've been through in your life. Well, have you seen those videos? It's always the Russian dudes that do not fucking move. I know. It's crazy. And like you hear the sound and it's just like, like it's deafening. It is crazy. Well, speaking of, how often do you think of the Roman Empire? I have to honestly say that it it is multiple times per week. Yeah, that tracks. It is. It is. A lot of it is with your buddies making jokes. Now, most of my friends are some variety of progressive leftist somewhere in that realm. Also white, if you're wondering, listener. Also, Also very white, but there is a big joke amongst us, and I think amongst people who are kind of on that more leftist progressive end of the political spectrum um there's always a joke about the end of western civilization because alt-right and far-right millennial dudes and gen z dudes take it so seriously that like the west is totally over so it's it's more of a joke but um yeah a lot of us legitimately just think about the history of (laughs) the roman empire (laughs) andrew you get a ding 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 for the day because i had an internal bet of how long it would take you to mention alt-right and honestly how long have we been recording in total well in total to get here um since i hit record is 24 minutes (laughs) first of all this episode is unhinged and my favorite part is you have to fucking edit it bitch I better be stone sober when I edit this. I cannot wait. Or maybe I shouldn't be. I don't know. If I'm sober when I edit this, I might just fucking delete it. We have our next question from Ann P. from Cleveland. She says, at what age did you start doing your own laundry? I think it was my early teens. 
Okay. I had started getting jobs doing landscaping for like people at church and people my parents knew. So I was starting to get a little bit of disposable income mm -hmm. that I could actually spend on clothing. I grew up my whole life wearing hand-me-downs from my older cousins and older kids at church that first went to my brother and then went to me. Mm -hmm. So by the time I was in those hand-me-downs, they were about as raggedy as nine-year-old me. Oof. So as soon as I had some disposable income, and also like the, the clothing that my mother would buy us if we did have to buy new clothing, mm -hmm. or that she would buy at a thrift store, it was just like the most heinous. Which I will be honest, Andrew has not strayed from that um, mindset since. <laughs> <laughs> so, but as soon as I could, and I had some disposable income, I was buying my own clothing. And I decided also at that point that um, it would be a good idea to wash my own clothing because my mom would just throw everything in and, you know, uh, like she would separate like colors and stuff, but just like cook it on the highest setting. Mm -hmm. It makes sense when you grow up like, you know, um, I, I wouldn't call it the country, but we were definitely in a more rural area. Of there suburbia. were no black people. There were no black people, but uh, I mean, I totally understand that growing up with four young kids all covered in, in mud and running around and everything. Okay. Yeah. And I think it was also partially like my mother uh, just needed some relief from doing everything. So she was kind of like mm. pushing my, my brother and I, because we were the older siblings to start doing some of that stuff on our own. It's funny because when I was in college, like I have very specific memories of like watching 18 19 year old men boys learn how to do laundry from like the girls in the dorm and i know like women in the dorms who were like i'll just do your laundry and it's like this is why this is why men are dirty they never learn to clean as a sidebar we definitely need to teach young women and maybe this is being taken care of with the younger generations now from our generation well, especially my generation being an older millennial the young girls were basically brought up to be pick-me's from a very young age so they would do stuff like that like oh yeah i'll do your laundry for you so you'll like me girl like that is crazy like he will not he will like you in the way that he likes his mother yes that is why so many millennial men are looking for a mother. And let me tell you, millennial men, I am not your fucking mother. And to be quite honest, I think the mother that I would be to a human is a black ass mom. And they're not ready for that. Uh, and it kind of starts making me wonder if Freud was right. I mean, I know a couple members of the podcast who at least have the oral fixation part down pat. <laughs> Neither of them are here right now. I know. I love it. All right. We have a very crucial question. It's a part of the white culture that I've always found myself deeply connected to um, because it means a lot to me and it plays a huge role in my life, in my happiness, in the way that I enjoy certain things. Are you going to say meatloaf? Why do white people mayo so much? <laughs> <laughs> I, I grew up not having a single spice in my life. <laughs> There was not a jalapeno within miles of my house. There was not anything more than a dash of paprika in our stew. Our stew. Oh, my mom did make a lot of stew. I mean, it's good stew, but it is. there's not a lot of uh, heat to it. Then it's not good stew. <laughs> if you want to add flavor, 
you have to add fat. You're you're not adding spices. You're yes. not adding heat. You're adding fat for flavor, which Salt, is why fat acid heat, baby. Yeah, which is why Paula Dean dumps three pounds of butter in a pan and says the N word. <laughs> The N-word is the heat. <laughs> <laughs> That's the spice. <laughs> oh, God. Um, this question, I think, is a little bit more open to interpretation, but I think it's it's a really powerful question. This is actually also coming from one of our Cleveland-based listeners. Um, I should say Cleveland-originated listeners. How dare they? Can you answer, please? That's a pretty broad question, but also pretty narrow. Mm -hmm. I think it's just because, well, we got to go back to the Roman Empire. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) In 237 AD, ever since the Roman, I, I think if the Roman Empire hadn't expanded as far as it had, and like the the heathen pagan tribes, Erica's falling asleep. She is falling asleep. You're going to agree with this, though. If the pagan tribes in the British Isles and France and Germany, like if they had not been at war and conquered by the Roman Empire, I think we would have a very different white world right now. Unfortunately, Maggie is not online to fact check that. But if I were more indoctrinated in the culture, I could agree or disagree. But, you know, this is like it's not my place. And I'm currently listening and learning. So. I hear you and I see you. Thank you for that answer. (laughs) You hear me and see me because we're in the same room recording for once. I know it's chaos. This is honestly, though, honestly, if we release this episode, this will be the only episode that we've ever released recorded in person. That is right. And and we did attempt this once before with all four of us, and it was a mess. It was very bad. Maybe one day we'll put those files no. up on Patreon. No, we can't. But you are going to have to pay a premium You're going to have to pay my mortgage in full <laughs> to get that video, because the way that it would end all of our careers. Uh, going back to the question, uh, how dare they? It's because, yeah, I, I don't think anyone can argue. We've been on top for millennia. It's time for somebody else to take the reins for a little bit. Are they going to do a better job? Probably. Are they going to do a substantially better job? I don't know. All humans suck. But we've had our time in the sun. And uh, we're still really, really white. Despite that. I know. It's kind of funny. Like, all this exposure and you look overexposed. I know. We actually have this coming in from one of our male listeners. He asks... Why don't men make noise during sex? Because they have been trained for years to contain their emotions. And any noise is bad in any regard. If you really want to find out what men are all about. I'm scared. You go into a comment section on Mm -hmm. Instagram on a variety of different types of videos. And you will see the insecurity of the male race. I thought you were going to say porn, girl. I was <laughs> like, ah! But how, how many videos out there of like, you know, public freakouts and like somebody's getting hit, somebody's getting attacked. And there's a woman in the background screaming, saying, stop, you know, stop hitting my boyfriend or whatever. And there's so many comments from men like, why are you screaming? Screaming does nothing. Women are so weak. All they do is scream. They're not even helping. And, and that is drilled into men from birth basically i think it's universal across men getting raised in america you do not show emotion and you do not express 
any kind of outward indication that you are in distress, that you are hurting, or you're having a hard time. You hold it all inside and you push that shit down and you move forward, which is fine in concept. But in practice, humans are spongy and weak. And eventually we just kind of give out. (laughs) So, you know, this is why men fall over at 45 from a heart attack, because they've kept all this shit inside for decades. And you know what? Um, I think that there is something to say about the fact that I asked about sex and you said about repressing your emotions. If you're a listener and a therapist, I have a client for you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will forward this recording to my therapist. I mean, it, it, it is 100% true. I think guys are like, they see it as weakness. Yes. The idea of expressing weakness by expressing any kind of outward, I don't even want to say emotion, but just like any kind of reaction yes. that isn't a, a violent reaction, mm. that isn't hatred or anger or like extreme oh, frustration like, is seen as some kind of weakness. So- the the idea that you would make noise or express some kind of like you know pleasure during sex is considered weakness because that makes a lot of straight men who are like of the super straight TM variety mm-hmm. feel like they are no longer I mean honestly I think a lot of those types of men feel like they are the aggressor in a sexual encounter I'm not saying that to exaggerate. Like, I really do think a lot of straight men feel like the conqueror or the aggressor mm. in a sexual encounter. They just feel like they need to be constantly in control. Right. Instantly, you think of Brock Turner. I honestly think that that guy thinks that he didn't rape at all. Like, it was just like him showing this. He was a man. Like, yeah. he, like, women want to be completely submissive to a man and that is a legitimate belief that a lot of guys have so it's almost like by showing the fact that you know this woman is making they, them experience a a feeling is is doing to the something point to where them. they're outwardly expressing it yeah. it's tough i have had a lot of experiences with men where like they were automatically like call me sir one man said call me master and that is a my child violation. is biracial for a reason, unfortunately. Karmic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. And it's one of those things where it's like, we haven't had this discussion. To me, I'm all about being equals in that journey, which means that you have the discussion as equals. I will say, though, I will say, though, a place where men love to moan and love to get loud is in the fucking gym. And I am not here for it. That's a whole other discussion is the homoeroticism of working out with your gym bros. Well, unfortunately, our gay gym bro is in Mexico. (laughs) Yes. Yes. The one member of the pod that can speak to this and he is floating around in a hot air balloon (laughs) above a pyramid in Mexico right now. Kirk is literally having the time of his life. I mean, I was literally in Japan while you guys were recording, which, you know, Andrew, where's your big trip, girl? Speaking of white culture, this was a question that came up in two ways. And I think it's important to ask both questions. Uh, Megan asks, how often does he wash his sheets slash towels? And then we have Emily who asks, 
the lack of bedding, pillows. So, um, Andrew, it seems that white male culture, maybe white straight male culture, let's put you in the tiniest box we can, um, is very anti-bedding. Um, to me, that says that you're anti-Pottery Barn. You're anti-West Elm. You are anti-class, which I respect. Eat the rich. But um, can you explain to us why you've chosen to forego bedding? I think it's a similar thing to the noise during sex. That if you care about these types of things, then you're gay. Like washing your feminine. ass? Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll probably get to that. Yeah. We will get to that. But this kind of fits in with, with my evolution as a person. My dad's father passed away in 2021. And I am almost 100% sure that he was convinced that I was gay for <laughs> quite a long time. He never came out and said it, but he always kind of treated he me. He was a- waiting for you to come out and say it. <laughs> <laughs> he, he tr- always treated me a little bit different from my brother, who who is a blue collar, true blue American a man. A real man. <laughs> a real man TM. So I, I think there were signs along the way that I was not going to end up like the rest of my family. But one of those things happens to be the fact that I have three pillows on my bed because I want to be comfortable. I want to be kind of upright when I sleep. Period. Um, I, I recognize I don't wash my sheets enough, but I do wash them about every two weeks. I will say, what was your number pre-Cassie? Pre-Cassie was definitely a lot lower, but I think it wasn't because I was specifically avoiding it. It was just because I was lazy. <laughs> so I will fully own that. Yeah, I do. I do wash the sheets more frequently than I think a lot of straight dudes do. And I will say, Cassie, hey girl, is amazing. And so his numbers have certainly been shifted by her influence to a degree that we will never be able to measure. And I certainly don't want to imagine uh, an Andrew without Cassie, mainly because I love Cassie more. Well, I think everyone does. Yeah, that's like a full fact. This question I'm just going to say, how do you feel about white on white crime? This is something that I have a strong opinion of, and that is that you're for it. I am. Oh, well, yeah, 100%. The concept of black on black crime or white on white crime is about poverty to me. We can't say that we don't see color and all lives matter. Like, that's clearly bullshit. I wish I was editing this. So, so you can I make it sound yes. like, yeah, <gasps> yeah, you could pull out a soundbite and ruin my life. Crime rate is correlated very strongly with poverty. I live in a very white area mm-hmm. um, in a small town outside of Philadelphia, and we have plenty of white on white crime because it is mostly white people in the area. Mm-hmm. And we have meth labs and heroin needles on the sidewalk. And all the normal crime that you experience. And a lot of people from where I've lived all my life, I've lived in the same kind of 30-minute radius in different small towns my entire life in Pennsylvania. A lot of those white people that live in those towns talk shit about coming down to Philadelphia or they're scared Mm -hmm. to come down to Philadelphia. Some people deprive themselves from going to any big city because they're afraid of the crime. And by that, they mean black people. Yeah. Obviously. 
It's funny because I like look at cities like Chicago and I consider it the most demonized city in the country. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like I've been to Chicago multiple times. My sister lived in Chicago and it is a very clean, very civically well-run city comparatively, especially compared to Philadelphia. But we only talk about the crime on the South side. Um, and then you think about Philadelphia too, right? For the longest time, and to this day, Philadelphia has this reputation of being a quote-unquote dangerous city, but a lot of the people who are spouting that lie are people who remember a Philadelphia that was a lot blacker, a lot more in general ethnic, and it very much shows up in their sentiments today. Whereas now, you know, to me, Philly is a pretty white city. And I know that it is not a quote unquote white city, but if you're in Center City and that's the only experience you have of Philadelphia, you would think that it was a primarily white city that was always been kind of a white city. We got niggas here. <laughs> <laughs> I I think that's the essence of it is is it's about your socioeconomic status, mm-hmm. which a, a much larger percentage of the black American population is in a much lower socioeconomic Apologize class. for that. Apologize for you being partially responsible for that, please. I, I will apologize. And that goes back to uh, how dare they. Period. Period. When we're talking about like where I live in the suburbs in a very white town, there is still crime there. Mm-hmm. And you know who's doing it? It's white people. And you know who those white people are? They're poor white people. Mm-hmm. And it's because of a lack of education. It's because of a lack of opportunity. It's because of decades of being oppressed by a capitalist system that only values your ability to create shareholder profit, more or less, for a very small subset of the population that. You know, whenever you find people who are in poverty, that is what you find as well. You find the crime, mm-hmm. significant mental illness, drug addiction, because that is what happens to human beings when they're degraded to that level. Yes. And it's just that the black population specifically, but a lot of minority populations in America experience that level of poverty and being intentionally left out of the top level of society Mm -hmm. you know it's almost like there is a above ground society and a below ground society Mm -hmm. just because a higher percentage of of those people are black americans for any number of reasons that primarily systemic too right like it's not even it's it's the the fact that white families in america have owned property and businesses through generations of family whereas Black people who have the same number of generations of family mm-hmm. living in this country have been deprived of those opportunities for a long time, first with slavery and then with Jim Crow. And then after the civil rights era, the more sneaky systemic racism of redlining and segregation from a lot of different areas of life. So to me, crime is poverty and poverty is crime. Because that is what it leads human beings to do. Obviously, it is a much more significant problem for the black community in America for all of those reasons that we just talked about. But it, it doesn't matter if you're in Philadelphia mm-hmm. or if you're in the small town where I live. 
there's going to be crime. Mm -hmm. There's going to be drug use. I mean, honestly, it's not even a socioeconomic thing. It, it, it is a human thing. It doesn't matter how rich you are. In fact, if you're richer, you probably have more access, but you're getting away with it mm -hmm. because you donate to the Fraternal Order of Police and have a summer home where you invite a Supreme Court justice to come vacation with you. AKA where you bring your sugar baby, Terrence, Clarence Thomas, Terrence Clomas. <laughs> But it is true. And I, I spoke to someone who was a former addict or who was in recovery, I should say. And he said something that we never think about. But he said, the best thing that ever happened to me was my parents kicking me out of the house because it's so much easier to continue on that really dark pathway when you have your needs taken care of. And I think, you know, there are a lot of people who by way of how society set them up 400 years ago, their needs were not are never going to be met in that way. Um, and so on one hand, you have people who can kind of get away with doing these things that are, you know, harmful to themselves, harmful to people in their lives because they have the ability to do so and still eat and still have somewhere warm to sleep. And then you have the people who don't have that. And obviously, I think this is another episode in, in general, but we can go back and forth on all the reasons why these things happen. But ultimately, they happen because of things that we cannot control as lay people. And we can try our best to put people in office who follow that policy and, and hope for the best for, or who are working to rectify the evils of the past. But crime is crime, baby. And we got to look at the fact that we have a population in our country that is just at every single turn being thrown away. And whether it's because of the color of their skin, the town they grew up in, the balance in their bank account, that's neither here nor there. The issue is crime sucks. So I will say that it is uh, amongst all cultures that crime sucks. We here on Hellscape Carousel have a lukewarm uh, relationship with white on white crime because when it's Two dudes who are just drunk at a bar wailing on each other. I'm pulling out my phone. I'm recording that. And anytime I'm in a bad space, I'm going to watch that video and I'm going to play in the background. Lift every voice. <laughs> I mean, look, look, look. The real white on white crime is Bernie Madoff stealing hundreds of millions of dollars from old people's pension funds and 401ks. I mean, there's, there's plenty of white dudes beating white dudes, but you could make the argument that white crime is significantly more impactful on the planet and the human race than any other quote unquote races crime. And you know what? While we're fucking at it, let's talk about the crimes that white people commit that other white people allow to be completely legal. Corporations, Sheen, throwback to the last episode. How many businesses are incorporated in Delaware? Period. Or any number of islands in the Atlantic Ocean. I mean, I will say one thing that has made me feel really good about this entire episode is that there's a lot of things that I actually want my daughter as, you know, not only my child, but a literal cat to excel in. 
you just hit on one that's tax evasion. I think that's a part of white culture that we should all participate in. If you are the IRS, I heard you bitches stop sending out agents. So <laughs> try to check me, boo. Um, <clears throat> you know, as cats, it's important to practice suppressing your emotions and not letting others know how you feel because God forbid a bitch predicts your next step. And then, of course, there's this really powerful concept of seeing something that needs to be fixed, um, seeing a part of our society that is broken, a part of our society that needs the attention and care that only you can give with the position and access of your life and completely ignoring it. My cat is many things, but she is certainly the type of bitch who will mind her own fucking business as long as it keeps her life stable and it gives her what she wants. So I'm really happy to hear that despite growing up in a black home and despite experiencing the more seasoned, funnier, tasteful parts of society, she was able to hold on to um, the culture of her, unfortunately, not only white parent, but her white father, because I was, in fact, in the closet when I adopted my cat. <laughs> so, Andrew, I, I really want to thank you. But, but, you know, before we close out this episode, I do have a couple requests, and that's that you give us some recommendations for things that I can do personally to study up on your culture, to, to really align myself with what it means to have someone who identifies as white. Um, so if you could give me a list of, you know, just maybe a movie, a band, a book, and a food dish that you think best represents your culture. So let's start with the movie. What do you have for us? Oh, man. I mean, there's so many good options from just being really funny to like very serious. Um, but I'm going to pick something that maybe a lot of white dudes would not suspect American history X. I mm. think that is very millennial white culture. We all saw that movie and then thought that we weren't racist. There's criticism of that movie, of course, but I'm not going to pick apart the movie itself. It's more about the guys that watched that movie and incorporated it into their identity there was a certain point in time, I don't think it's quite as in vogue anymore, but there was definitely a certain point in time where a lot of white dudes thought that they were definitely not racist because they enjoyed American History X. We're still there. Can we, confirm. We, we are still there. We are <laughs> definitely still there. It's great to know that, you know, my cat can really delve into white culture by learning about hate. Because she is a cat and she's very good at that. So it's good to know that that's something that, you know, she has already in her genetics. White people, let's talk music. Am I right? It's usually bad or just like the white version of something a black person did. Um, so what music would you recommend to my cat that is pure, unadulterated caucasity? This is another tough one because there's so many options. Take your pick of white female rappers that are trying their damnedest to be as black as possible. Iggy Azalea. Once again, I have to go with an OG classic, and that's The Stones, mm. The Rolling Stones. I love kidney stones. <laughs> <laughs> Who took their music 
their identity from black culture. Mm. Hallelujah. They were certainly a pioneer of rock and roll as a genre. We could have picked Elvis. Period. But I'm picking them because that certainly fits more into my listening tastes. Like we could pick a lot of artists from the 50s and 60s that appropriated black culture or took black culture and turned it into this more white genre of rock and roll and then metal. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with borrowing from another genre or another culture's music and turning it into something new, incorporating it with what is from your culture and what you know, but to not acknowledge it and to be heralded as this inventor of a genre that you took from somewhere else is the problem. The good thing about that is Sandy is so small and wily that she's fantastic at stealing and getting away with it. So there is a definite shift back with black voices in the rock and metal world Mm -hmm. where we are getting much more diversity now and we're in Philadelphia right now. So shout out to Jesus Peace, one of the best hardcore bands ever. Anyway, (laughs) all right. I know that an issue that both my cat and Kirk share is that they are completely illiterate. Are there any books that you would recommend to my cat for me to read to her um, that really represent what it means to be white in this great country? I am going to once again pick out another classic, and that is The Bell Curve by Charles Murray. Oh my God. So the reason why I'm picking this book, I don't think it's something that's terribly wide read these days anymore. It was certainly at one point, but the influence of the bell curve has been felt for a very long time and continues today. And it really does embody that modern post civil rights movement, white culture yeah, we're, we're not racist because we're okay with black people. We tolerate them. You know, some of them are good. And it, it just embodies that where it's like, it's not 1854 anymore. When Andrew was born. When, when I was born. We have Christian preachers telling people that black people are the descendants of Cain that were cursed by God. Like, <sighs> we don't have that anymore. But what we do have is that type of deep-seated casual racism of the bell curve that's saying like there are a lot of great black people out there there are Mm -hmm. a lot of successful black people out there but if you were to distribute everybody on a on a bell curve using all kinds of flawed studies and flawed science you would see in general black people are on that lower end of the bell Mm -hmm. curve and we're not going to account for the socioeconomic status of these people we're not going to account for centuries of oppression and systematic racism and slavery we're just going to look at a very narrow set of misinterpreted data and turn that into this whole philosophy that has become the modern right wing you hear the same Mm -hmm. notes coming out of the mouth of somebody like tucker carlson or even donald trump you know, it's so funny because I i mean, as someone who got labeled, quote unquote, the good one 
throughout a, a portion, a big portion of my life. You're just so articulate. I, which I'm like, yeah, but like, what? <laughs> what does that mean? We're all speaking the same language. And quite frankly, yours is worse. Like, take a seat. Gee willikers. If my cat ever spoke and she said gee willikers, I would not be a cat owner. Throw her off the roof. I'd be like, girl, she will land on her feet and she has nine lives. Like, she's going to a pound. She will be fine. That was not a violent statement. Uh, I will say, though, that, you know, one thing that cats are really poised in is gaslighting. So I think that um, the bell curve is really going to inspire her to kind of keep that legacy going. And I'm not here for it, um, even though I am quote unquote, a good black, as I've been told. Um, I am not a good anything, first and foremost. I am a mediocre everything. But it'll be good for Sandy to also have just a heightened sense of ego because famously cats who were once worshipped as gods don't have egos. And the last question, I'm going to say it. Cats just be eating what they want to eat. I don't know if this is a part of her father's culture that she'll be able to connect with because she is used to living within a certain standard. So if you could at least recommend a dish, uh, likely a casserole, but um, I will say my cat loves mayo. So I think that we're in good territory, but is there a dish that you would recommend? We could go the casserole route. We could go the route of white ethnic cooking, like British food. Or- <laughs> Hungarian peasant food, but I'm going to go with something that maybe is a little bit out of left field, and that is the jello casserole <gasps> at the picnic. Maybe this is my start to the dark side of jello politics. <laughs> but um, as a kid growing up, I never liked all the myriad jello salads that were you at the picnic. That I was at, well, obviously white people, because they would eat it all. When you go to a white event, and maybe not so much anymore, but definitely in the 80s and the 90s, you go to a white event, and for dessert, and even part of the the regular course of the meal, there would be like five different types of jello casserole. They would be molded from like a bunt cake. They would be in a pan. And molded? It, it, yes. Like put into a shape? into a bunt pan and then turned out and it's not just a big block of jello it is jello that has different fruits and vegetables suspended in vegetables sometimes they try to pass these things off as savory which still i mean it's fucking jello they're not like using gelatin and then maybe like oh no 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 It's, it's, it's like it is jello packets. Jello brand jello with vegetables yeah. in it. Like you could get strawberry jello and then suspend chopped up apple no. pieces in it and call that a dessert. Death. And Punishable could, by death. And you could bring that to a white Labor Day picnic. You were going to these events and you were looking these people in the eye, having conversations with them when they had a plate full of chunked jello in front of them yes it just imagine that combination of textures the jello that is solid but so soft and as you're biting through it you encounter an apple piece on one side of your mouth but on the other side of your mouth there is a mandarin slice i am unwell this is true jello salads i could never understand it 
I still do not understand it. I will back mayo up until the day I die, but fuck jello salads. Mayo gang, just to confirm, because I know white people do be drinking. These were non alcoholic jello salads, right? Like there was oh, no. Correct. Correct. Yes. That's wild. So wild. All right. Well, thank you to our white correspondent, um, Andrew. This was informative, vaguely traumatizing, and I will think about this in a dark way for a very long time. So that was this week's episode of Hellscape Carousel. I'm Erica. I'm Andrew. I want some more. Interview with the Vampire. Thank you for listening to Hellscape Carousel. If you like what you heard, leave a five-star review, subscribe, and follow us on social media. Stay tuned for more episodes. 